morning. Yeah, good. First service, my mic was a little bit too loud, so everybody, I said good morning, everybody said good morning back to me. When I was like, wow, they were like, they like jumped back in their seats, their hair went back like this. It was pretty fantastic. So um, so you didn't get the scary good morning this morning. Um, today, um, as the video was kind of, you saw those words up there, we were talking about arguably one of the most famous verses in the Bible, some of Jesus' most famous words today. And so if you grew up in the church, um, you probably know these words. You probably have seen this verse. Even if you're not good at memorizing the scripture, you probably have memorized at least the first few words of this verse. You probably remember it. You grew up with it. And if you're not, you didn't grow up in church and that's all new to you, you've probably seen it around because this verse shows up in all kinds of different places. I mean, it's on road signs. You can find it at stadiums, people holding it up. Um, it, you can see it on The Simpsons. I mean, I mean, anywhere you go, really, like this, this shows up. And you may have seen that before and been like, well, I, what, what is the code for John 3.6? Like, what's this, is that like some kind of secret like code? What does that mean? And it's actually this paragraph, this few words of Jesus that he speaks over people. Um, it's probably most famous, most embraced by the Christian community because it encapsulates the very message, the essence of what and who Jesus was about. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And, uh, you know, it, this whole series that we're talking about is called uh, Finding Your Way to a Better Life. Okay? And so as we talk about, like, how do I find my way to a better life? We, you all know that, like, there are things in life that come up all the time. Opportunities where you're like, mm, should I do this or should I do that? Challenges that you're going, I don't, I don't know how to face that or I don't know how to get through that. And even mistakes, things that you do that you regret. I, what do I do now? I mean, now that that's happened, what do I do? And the message of the gospel, the essence of John 3.16 is, I want to give you a new life, a better day. And there are better days ahead with me. And so this is the essence that Jesus came to talk to us about. So over the next few weeks, that's what we're going to talk about. Next week, we'll talk a little bit about finding better direction. Like, how do I find better direction in life? Where do I go to? How do I do that? And then the following week, we'll talk about great friendships. Like, how do I establish some great friendships that give me a framework to really live life well? The following week, we'll talk about what in life really matters. Like, what's, what's really important in life? You've ever felt like, ah, how do I prioritize? That's what we'll be talking about that week. And then the last week, we'll talk about finding an incredible life. Um, God actually says an, an unimaginable life. There's this life waiting ahead for you. How do you find that unimaginable life? And this week, we start with John 3.16, which is the essence of that series, but very specifically, the essence of how do I start and give myself a new day? How do I get started on this whole journey? And so this morning, the whole, that verse John 3.16 starts with these words, for God so loved. Remember that? Like, you've heard that verse before, for God so loved. And it answers this question, why did Jesus come? Why did God come to earth? Why does he even care? And, you know, when we think about that, you think, I don't know. Like, why did Jesus come? Why did he come? Was it because, like, he was like, I want to go hang out with popular kids. Like, I have looked down, and there are some cool cats down there. Like, I, they are so awesome, so incredibly cool. I've been following them on Facebook, and I'm like, those people have it together, and so I want to come down and hang out with them. Is that why Jesus came? Many of you probably feel the opposite effect of, like, when you think about why would a perfect God visit the earth? Why would he come hang out with us? You probably think, well, why would he come hang out with me? Like, why, why would he come hang out with you? Like, 
And you probably ask that question more in like, why would he come out and hang out with me? Like, has he not seen what goes on in my life? Does he not know my, like, I'm not even sure I want him to come hang out with me because if he hangs out with me too long, he's going to find out the other stuff that I do. And I'm not sure I want him knowing all that, being in my junk and in my space that much. And so we might go, I don't even know. And yet there's this part of John 3.16 that most of us don't realize. So some of us hear that, and if you've been around a long time, you might think of Jesus as though he was telling that to a crowd of people. Like, for God so loved you, and he's preaching this. But he wasn't. He was actually speaking that over a single person's life. For one person who had come to him and asked some questions and wondered, why are you here? And he was speaking it into his life. You want to know why I'm here? Here's it. Here's why I'm here for you. Here's who you are. And so he answered that question, and we need to answer that question too. And that guy's name was Nicodemus. So let me give you a little context before we get into the message and talk about John 3.16. Nicodemus, this guy who's a fairly important guy, um, he's kind of like a senator, um, a religious leader, and Bill Gates all wrapped up into one, right? So he's like a very important guy. He comes to see Jesus. It's kind of a big thing. And Nicodemus shows up to Jesus alone, doesn't bring any of his friends along, and he sneaks in under the radar at night. Doesn't want anybody to actually know that he's talking to Jesus. But here he is. He can't seem to resist. And in fact, had the other guys that he hangs with known that he was talking to Jesus, they would have been fairly unhappy. And he could have shown up with Jesus at any time. He could have come up to Jesus in the public which a lot of other guys did, and rebuked him in public and made a spectacle out of the whole thing, but Nicodemus doesn't show up this way. He's interested in Jesus, but he wants to ask some serious questions, and he's asking those questions. And so maybe that's the kind of conversation that we all need today, the kind of conversation that says, I just want to ask Jesus some questions. I just want to understand what is it that's really important? What is it that's really going on here? How do I really understand that? And so That's what we're going to talk about this morning because what Nicodemus, I think, really wanted, the reason that he would sneak off to see Jesus, the reason he would kind of risk all of his position in place is because he wanted to know, who is this Jesus? Like, what are you really about? I am really tired of living the way I've lived. There has got to be something better. I need a new day. I want to know what you're about. And so if you'll open your outline this morning, we'll get started and talk a little about what is it that Jesus is about? What is this conversation that Jesus wants to start? How does he start it with Nicodemus? Nicodemus, when he asks this question, when he's talking to Jesus, it actually starts Nicodemus coming to him and Jesus saying, hey, listen, Nicodemus, if you want a new way, you, you, you want to really understand what's going on here, and I'm kind of surprised you don't because you're a teacher of the religious law. You ought to understand this better than anyone else, but since you don't, let me tell you, let me give you a hint. You've got to think differently. You've got to be have a new birth, a birth spiritually called being born again. Maybe you've heard this term before. Jesus says, you've got to start over. You've got to have a new day. And how do you get that new day? Jesus starts by talking to him a little bit about forgiveness. He says, you want a new day? You've got to start that by accepting forgiveness as this gift that I want to give you, that God wants to give you. So that's the first point this morning of accepting forgiveness as a gift from God. We all need to start there. This is where Jesus starts. As much as we probably all, some of us know, I need forgiveness, as much as some of us know I want forgiveness, we find it's a little harder to to really experience forgiveness than just saying the words. You know, if you've ever done something wrong 
and you felt like, I want to be forgiven, but you just kind of say the words, and you don't really feel forgiven, you know what I'm talking about. That it's not just something that just happens, it's something that God invites us into. And according to the Apostle John, who wrote the, what we're read, going to read from today, John was like one of Jesus' besties, right? He's his best friend. Now, can you imagine being Jesus' best friend? Like, like you know how, you, as best friends, like, they know everything about you. Like, they know all your junk, all the stuff you do wrong. They seem to like you anyway. But can you imagine being the best friend of a perfect God in the flesh? A little bit of pressure going on there, right? Like, how do you keep up that relationship? And every time you mess it up, he's always the one like letting you off the hook. He's always the one that's there to like bring it back. Like, man, can you imagine this? So picture John in this relationship with Jesus. And if, as he remembers and writes about Jesus, he writes about particular concepts over and over because Jesus impressed this on his heart. Being around Jesus, he just went, if I'm going to remember something about that conversation, this is what I remember. And so that's what we find in John 3.16. So let's start reading. John 3.16, it says this. And now remember, this is Jesus talking to Nicodemus. One person, not a crowd. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but the one who does not believe is already condemned. Okay, so Nicodemus shows up to Jesus. They have this pre-conversation. Nicodemus has snuck in. He didn't want anybody to see him. Why? Why is it that he's sneaking in at night? Because he already feels condemned. I mean, these guys that he serves with are going to condemn him if they see him with Jesus. Why is that happening? Okay, so let's just rewind the tape a little bit in Jesus' life. Jesus kicks off his ministry. He does all these miracles. Like people are getting healed. People are blind. People can now see. Um, he turns water into wine. Got to imagine that makes him pretty popular at happy hour. People are like, they're happy with him, right? He's doing all this stuff. It's kind of a big deal. But he's also doing other stuff. He's showing up at the temple where the religious leaders where that, that uh, Nicodemus serves with have a kind of a system running. It's kind of working pretty good. Jesus is showing up at the temple, throwing over the tables and saying, this is not the way it's supposed to be. You are, you're making it hard for people to find God. You're charging them money to get here. This is supposed to be a house of prayer, a house of connection with God, and you don't get it. Got to make them unpopular with people that have a lot of power. So this is where Nicodemus finds Jesus, and yet he is so intrigued with him, he cannot resist finding Jesus and having this conversation with him. And and though Nicodemus feels condemned, Jesus is trying to set him free. He's trying to say, you don't have to live that way anymore, Nicodemus. There is a better, new, and living way that you can live in. And so he says, don't be condemned. I didn't come here to condemn. I came here to set you free. A lot of us think that, like Nicodemus, that maybe God is like those friends of Nicodemus where he's just got his pointy finger out all the time, pointing your finger, pointing out the things that we've done wrong as if that's what God is all about. And we need to get a handle on the fact that that's, that's not why Jesus came. Jesus says, I did not come to condemn to point the finger. In fact, you all are pretty good at doing that yourself. You're all pretty good at condemning yourselves. In fact, actions speak louder than words, right? Your actions have already condemned you. Like, 
the things that you've done wrong, they've already condemned you. I didn't come to condemn. I already knew what you've done wrong. That was actually the reason I came. This first few words of this verse, for God so loved the world. Check this out. When John uses the word world, which he uses a lot through his gospel, he doesn't mean like the trees and the grasshoppers and the grass and everything about the world. It's all awesome. He uses it in a particular way to refer to the people in the world that are opposed to God. Okay? So whenever you hear, for God so loved the world from John, what you hear is, for God so loved the people that were opposed to him, people that did not care about him. Now this is why this is so mind-blowing to Nicodemus. Because he hears that and he goes, so God so loved people that were opposed to him that he sent his son. Now, if you have children, you know, you think about this and you go, would I sacrifice my kid? Would I? Now, I know some of you probably were on your way here in your car thinking I would. Like, I'm willing to. I was about to sacrifice them this morning. But when you think about, think about someone in your life that you're like, they are totally opposed to you. They are totally like, they're always running up against you. Someone that just makes your life rotten. Would you hand over your children to reconcile a relationship with them? This is mind-blowing. Like, what in the world? Why would God do this? Because God so loved. He already knew what was wrong. He knew we were opposed to him. But God so loved. He did it anyway. In fact, it was the reason that he did it. Because we were opposed to him. And he knew we needed to see him as he was. A God who wants to invite us in. And you know, all of us know this, this sense of justice. We know that there ought to be justice in the world. Like for wrong, wrong ought to be punished, right? I, I, I say that I'm just saying with my kids, don't, don't do the crime if you can't do the time, right? So in other words, there are consequences to our actions. Good consequences, bad consequences. Don't do the crime if you can't do the time. What it really is underneath of that is there's justice. It's not just justice in our house. There's justice in the world. And there's always, we always want that sense of justice. Someone does something wrong. Someone steals something from us. We, we want a sense of justice, right? Like, you can't just go around stealing from people. Justice demands it. God knew that. It's part of the system as he's designed it. Justice demands that when we have done things wrong, that there be payment made, and that's why God came through Jesus to make the payment on the cross and say, I want to set you free. I want to make a payment here that will set you free. Jesus tells us the only way that you get condemned now, the only way that you can experience condemnation now is if you choose not to believe me. If you choose not to accept what I've already given you. What's being offered to you as a gift, if you refuse to accept it, that's the only way that you'll experience condemnation. So long as you open yourself and say, I want that, there is no condemnation. You are set free. This is what God, the message that Jesus is trying to get to Nicodemus and get through his head. Now, I think that most of us have experienced a couple different places. So whether you go to, you've gone to church a long time, you may find yourself in this spot. Um, if you feel like, no, I've kind of got it together. But I think, I think other people find themselves in a spot too. There's, there's like a couple camps that you find yourself in when around this whole forgiveness subject. Some of us think, I'm good enough. I mean, I'm doing all right. You know, I mean, I, I've read the reviews on death row. I'm not there. I think I'm doing all right. You know, I've looked around me. I found some people worse than me. I'm doing all right. I don't know that I really need forgiveness. I think I'm, I'm all right. 
And I think we've all been in those places in life, those places where we don't really sense what's going on in our life. Um, who wants to really get down and dirty and admit what's going on in our hearts? But I think of the story that I read in uh, it's a, a book called Sayings of the Desert Fathers, and it talks about this monk, and his name was Father Moses. He was the abbot of this monastery. And at this monastery, apparently, one of the monks had done something wrong, and a council had been called. They, it was, he did something sinful, a council had been called together, and they were calling it together to judge him, to decide to, to what was going to happen to him. And so the, the, all these guys call this council, but they won't start without Father Moses. They keep inviting Father Moses. He keeps refusing to come. He won't come. And so finally, the priest that called the council together sends someone to Father Moses and says, we're all waiting for you here. We're all waiting for you. What are you, like, you need to come. We're all here waiting. So Father Moses, I just picture, like, he's so well-respected. Like, they all respect this relationship with, these God, with God that he has, and it seems to be this relationship that's so honorable that they won't even do anything without him. And so Father Moses concedes, decides to come. But he stops at the kitchen in the monastery on the way, and he gets a jug. I'm picturing like this jug, this big jug, a handle of water, fills it with water, but it's an old jug. And so as he walks to the council, they see him coming, carrying this jug of water, and out of it is leaking water. Like water is just pouring out the backside of this as he's carrying it. And as any of us would do, right, like someone comes to us with water's leaking out all over, what do we do? We go, what are you doing? Like what is this all about? And they ask him, Father Moses, what is it with the jug? And he says, you called me here today, and my sins run out behind me, and I do not even see them. And you call me here today to judge the errors of another. And at that, the story says, the council disbanded, and they forgave their brother. And I think about that story, and I think about how often in my own heart, where I, I do stuff all the time in my life, and I don't even see it, right? Like, I... I, am, I hurt people, I, I do things that are like, they sh- I shouldn't do it. I don't, even, I don't even know what's happening. And sometimes I do. The reality is that my sin runs out behind me all the time. I need forgiveness. Some of you are in another camp, the opposite camp, the one that says, I could never get forgiven. There's no way I can ever make up for the things in my past. There is no way that I'll ever be good enough. You feel so badly about what's happened in your life that you've written off any future possibility that God could do something with you or that God could do something good because of it. You, you may be angry. You may find yourself angry. Like, I am so angry. I just, I'm so mad that this hasn't changed. Or you may find yourself in a place where you feel like, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm always afraid of being found out. You may find yourself in a position of pride where you're just going, I can't put that on Jesus. That's on me. So I'll, I'll make this right so that Jesus doesn't have I can't put that on him. And that all comes back to one problem, and that's forgiving yourself. And if you've ever been in a place where you have asked for forgiveness, but had trouble actually experiencing it, you still felt guilt after you asked for forgiveness, then forgiving yourself might just be the break that you need. The way of finding freedom that you need to say, no, Jesus asked forgiveness. I mean, I want you to think about this for a second. If a God who is perfect and holy can forgive you, why can't you who are imperfect 
forgive yourself. To let yourself go, to let yourself off the hook. Forgiveness is yours for the asking. God wants you to be free. R.T. Kendall, who writes a book about forgiveness, says it this way. God can take away your sinful past, and he can make it work together for your good so brilliantly, so beautifully, that you will be tempted to say, that's the way it was always supposed to be. The whole purpose of Jesus' coming is that you can have a new life. You can have a gift of freedom and relationship with him. And even though you've done wrong, he says, I know, I'm not surprised. I give you this gift. I'm not shocked at all about any of that. I give you this gift. It's called forgiveness. To give you a new day. To give you a fresh start. Sometimes the hurdle, the biggest hurdle that we have for ourselves in this space is knowing that the gospel, this message that Jesus is speaking, not to a crowd, but to one person. That's not just true for everybody. It's true for you. It's true for me. We have a hard time believing it for ourselves. We say, yeah, other people can be forgiven but me. Well, God did that for me. So we look at other people's lives and we go, well, they're, yeah, but they're doing really well. I mean, yeah, they have it together, but me. Well, that's because it's them. You might look at me and say, well, yeah, but you're a pastor. What do you know about all this? I mean, you get up in the morning and have devotions and angels come around and they sing and there's music and it's, you're, you're, you, are, you are adored by your wife and admired by your children. They are, their children speak highly of you at all times. And those of you who know me and my family, like my kids are back there shaking their heads like, that's not true. Not like, if you've known me, I've shattered that image a long time ago. I'm just a guy who loves Jesus, and I don't have it all together, and I need his forgiveness. I remember a while ago now, my wife and I were having a very passionate discussion, and if you know what code that is, it means we were fighting. And so um, I remember I've always had this problem, especially when I get passionate. Um, words come out of my mouth that I wish didn't come out, right? You want to like reel, they're like, no! Like you realize, it's usually way after I realize, like I wish I hadn't said that, but I can't get them back. And so we're having this passionate discussion and I said some things that really hurt her. And as she began to weep, I realized how, how it hurt her again. And I walked out of the room and downstairs and I began to just, I began to just sit there and I was like, God, again, here I am. Like, here I am again. Like, my mouth, my problem with just right out there, I, how do you put up with me? Like, I don't deserve to have forgiveness again. I wanted to go back and ask her for forgiveness, but I couldn't even do that. I couldn't forgive myself. And as I sat there, I remember God just impressing on my heart. Like, Sean. Do you think I didn't know about this? Do you think I didn't see this coming? Do you think I, I am like out to lunch on the way that you are? I came to the cross and I already paid for that one. 2,000 years ago, I already saw it happen. I already felt the weight of it. And it's over. Your problem here is just accepting the gift that I want to give you. And if you'll accept the gift that I'll give you, you can forgive yourself. And you can reconcile with your wife. So I remember doing that and beginning to go back up, ask my wife for the same forgiveness. See, the point is that there is a gift waiting for you. 
But the gospel has to become true for you all the time. It has to become true for you. So I want you to be able to experience that this morning. I want you to take some time to really bask in what forgiveness gives us this new day, that forgiveness is you for you personally. And so John 3.16 isn't for the world, it's for you. And so we're going to read this verse together. You see there's a blank there, and that blank is for your name. It's for you to fill in your name. And so we're going to read this aloud together, and the worship team's going to come, and they're going to sing a song, and I want you to bask through this verse and through that song on remembering the gospel is for me. It's not for others, it's for me. So let's read this together, and you're just going to read, For God so loved Sean, or whatever. Don't say Sean. Let's say your name, okay? Unless your name's Sean, in which case, say Sean. So we're going to read this together, and we're going to read it aloud. Read it like you mean it, okay? None of this. Like, read it like you mean it, and then let's, let's worship together over it. Let's go. Here we go. For God so loved Sean that he gave his one and only son, If I believe in him, I shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his world into the world to condemn me, but to save me through him.
Jesus. He said it, for God so loved. You love us. And though we may suffer condemnation at our own hands or at the hands of others, the only condemnation really that we can suffer is by not accepting your words as truth for us. That the gospel is true for each person in this room. That we accept today your forgiveness. It is your gift to us. And so we confess, Lord Jesus, thank you for all that you did, for predicting your death, for pulling it off, for rising back up from the dead, for paying the penalty of sin, for my sin, for my shame, for giving me a way to be reconciled with you, God, to fill my heart, a place where I could fill my heart with real life. You opened all of those doors, and so today, whether for the first time or the thousandth time, we say thank you. We accept the gift. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, um, I want to encourage you that forgiveness is something that God gives us. This is an incredible gift. It's for you. It's for you to experience the gospel personally. But when Jesus talked to Nicodemus, he didn't end with his speech on condemnation. He didn't stop there and say, okay, you're good to go. He goes on to tell Nicodemus something else, something important about how to live your life, given what you've experienced, given all of the forgiveness that I offer you, not condemnation, but forgiveness. And a new day, given that, I want to set you free to really enjoy life. And that means that you can now live this life that is empowered, this authentic life that is empowered by grace. So let's talk about the second part of what Jesus says, about living an authentic life empowered by grace. One of the biggest benefits, the biggest, most important parts of my journey has been in accepting the forgiveness of Jesus and deciding I will follow Jesus, the biggest, most important, um, biggest gift to myself in this from God has been learning to be the person that God created me to be, the real me, not the image that I want to project to you, not the person who doesn't have anything going on that's wrong, but the person who... This won't be the first or last time I fail. The person who has places in his life that's not perfect, but the person who is headed towards, and may not be there yet, but is headed towards the very best version of me, the one that God designed, the one that God wanted to set free and said, I created you to be authentically you for a reason, to be a gift to others, to be an expression of who I am. I did all of that, and I want to set you free to be that, to bring your life out. And that means making peace with the fact that I'm going to fail. It means making peace with the fact that I'm a klutz. I drop things. I spill my drink. I spill, I, my Bible comes off the chair three times, and you guys realize, some of you guys are like, how many times are you going to knock that thing off? As many times as I set it down. That's, that's just like, i got to make peace with that. Like, God just smirks at that. Like, and he doesn't make fun of me. He just goes, I love that about him. Isn't that great? Isn't that great that he does that? Like, me making peace with that and say that's just who God created me to be and it's okay. It's okay to be the person that God's created me to be. Free from condemnation. Empowered to have an authentic life that I bring out before God. And so Jesus says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, in case you didn't get any of this other stuff that I just said to you about condemnation, in case you didn't really understand where this is headed, 
says in verse 19, this is the verdict. Here it is, Nicodemus. Here, don't, don't miss this. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And everyone who does evil hates the light. They will not come out into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Okay, now let's stop there for a second. Let's think about Nicodemus. When did Nicodemus come to Jesus? Oh, at night. Why is Jesus talking about this light and dark thing? Who is he talking to? Is he talking about the people in general that love evil? He's talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you have felt condemned. You came to me at night because you've lived out that condemnation. And I want you to know something. If you'll accept this gift of grace and forgiveness, you don't have to live that way anymore. You know the cool part of the story is? If you actually, actually wind the story forward to chapter 7 in John, Nicodemus stands up in front of the Pharisee, the, the Sanhedrin, who are trying to accuse Jesus, and he starts to defend him. He starts to live out this authentic life empowered by grace and say, well, I don't think we should go there, guys. I think we should slow down. He begins to speak publicly about something he formerly wouldn't. It says in verse 21, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it might be seen plainly what he has done has been done through God. So whoever accepts the grace of God isn't afraid any longer to bring his whole life, his whole forgiven life out into the light of God and say, this is who I am. Not as an excuse to say, hey, this is who I am, accept it. I'm kind of mean and rough and whatever. Like that, not that way, not in arrogance, but this is who I am. And I'm still unearthing the greatest version of who God created me to be, but this is who I am. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to be the person I am. I'm going to say stuff that sometimes is dumb. Whatever, like that's, that's just who I am. And I'm not, not afraid any longer. I'm not afraid and I don't have to hide any longer. I've made my peace with that. You know, Pastor Ron talks about, if you don't know, Pastor Ron, before he was a pastor here at Daybreak, was actually a security dude. Okay, so like he used to do like these like CIA confession people with for businesses, right? So like you know, bright light on him. Where were you on August fifteenth at three p.m. kind of things? But he talks about them. Like, tell me about like what what was that like? He said. He said, well, you, people used to confess not just to what they did, but like a whole bunch of stuff. I'm like, well, how did that happen? He said because they train you that the truth is that everybody wants to get it off their chest. No one wants to live under the condemnation and fear. Everybody wants to be free. So if you set up the environment so that they can be, they will do it. See, that's what Jesus is really inviting you to. You see it? He's saying, there is no more condemnation. You can now bring your life out. God is not pointing his finger. And I don't want you to live in fear of others pointing their finger because the most important person you need to worry about is God, and he's not pointing his finger. He's saying, bring your whole life out. I already know what you did. In fact, I already know what you're going to do. I came anyway, even when you were opposed to me, to set you free, to live this life full of grace. And yet, we all are a little guilty of image management at times because we're afraid of that. I mean, look at Facebook. What a great place for image management. Everybody does a little bit of image management on Facebook, right? A little bit of sharing stuff, going out and checking, you know, the notifications thing. How many people liked my status? How many people liked my Instagram? Like, what's going Like, we feed ourselves off of that. Everybody puts pictures out. Like, I don't see many people taking pictures of their house where it's a disaster, right? Like, everybody's house that I see on Facebook, it's clean. It's nice, right? 
They don't take a picture of their vacation disaster. They take a picture of their dream vacation. How one, and it comes up like four months after they were there, and you're like, well, wait, I just saw them yesterday. Are they on vacation? Like, how are they doing that? How are they at all these places? Like, it's all of this stuff that just comes out. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to share that stuff, but, you know, I know people on Facebook that I'm surprised that their six-year-old has won the Nobel Prize. Like, they're amazing. They're like the best kid ever. Like, oh, my gosh, wow. And I look at that, and I just... First of all, you know, the first thing I think all, all of us cross our mind is like, well, my life, I guess, kind of stinks. Because, like, now my Jersey Shore vacation doesn't look... I was looking forward to it before I saw those pictures of, like, Bermuda and, like, you know, you sailed all over the world and now and you, you, know, you stayed in this hotel that was incredible and Du Bois. Now, you know, and you're like, oh, man, I just, I'm just going to the Jersey Shore. First of all, you start to do that, right? And so your image, your value decreases. But the second thing that happens is you realize, like, in this, in managing your image and trying to be recognized, that which we all do, the moment you go out and check for how many likes you got, we're really just trying to get our value someplace else. We don't have an authentic life empowered by grace. And the problem with image management is this. No one ever really likes the real you. No one ever gets a chance to like the real you. They just get to like the pretend you. That's all they ever get to love is the pretend you, the one that you presented. The one you said, oh, look, here's my life. Oh, look how great it is. Or look, look, it's like this, it's like this. And whether that's positive or you ranting and anger or something, they don't ever get to see the real you. And the one thing that I know about every person in this room, because I, I think it's true of every person in the world, is every one of us wants to be loved for who we really are. Not for who we've presented to be, but for who we really are. Are deep in our hearts, we long to be accepted and loved for the person that we're created to be. Maybe the best version of that, but even for where we are. And that's what grace invites you to. It's this life where you bring out your holy, forgiven life because God forgave it. He's not condemned anymore. You bring it all out. You say, God, will you sort it out? God, can I trust you to point out the things that need to change right now and the things that are okay? Just okay right now. I don't have to worry about all of that. I don't have to try to make everything fit together and be perfect so that I can please you. I don't have anything to prove anymore because I have nothing to lose because I've accepted you at your word that you forgive me. And now grace is at work. And I can bring it to you and say, God, would you just help me be the best version, the one that you created me to be? Will you set me free to live this authentic life? That's what God invites you to. But most of us spend way too much time trying to be something we're not to get our value from the impression we leave on others. And I just want you to know that you will never, ever, ever get anything of lasting value from others. Do you want to know why? Because God's already given it to you. It's not theirs to give. God's already given you your value. It's just yours to begin to claim, to start to understand and know. So, how do we do this? How do we live this life? How do we begin to practice this in our life? Here's my suggestion. I think most of us probably, how many of you have grown up in this area or around this area or somewhere, or maybe in your family, you've heard someone say, like, well, I don't give out many compliments because it'll make their head swell. Have you heard that before? Or like, why would you compliment them? They just did their job. Like, that's what they're supposed to do. Like, why would you compliment them for that? Right? Like, 
You've heard this before, right? You may have grown up in a family like this. This is not how Jesus works. Jesus gives out words of blessing. This is what God does. He says, I want to give you out words of blessing. So one of the best ways for us to get past this, begin to live an authentic life empowered by grace, is by being a grace giver and receiver. Someone who knows how to speak words of blessing and receive them. Let me tell you what, let me tell you what I mean. So there are times in my, in my life where like, I'll see my wife and I'll be like, hey, babe, you look awesome today. Like, you look so gorgeous and beautiful. And she gives me the look that she just gave me. And she shakes her head. She's like, well, you're my husband. You have to say that. And, you know, I'm like, actually, there's nothing in our vows where I committed to say that. Like, look at our vows. I did not commit. I, I, this, is, this is me saying this to you. What I really often say to her is just this. Susan, the word is thank you. The word is thank you. Just say thank you. See, so often in our life, someone speaks a word of blessing over us, and we say things like, oh, don't mention it. Oh, don't worry about it. Ah, oh, it was nothing. And what we really mean is we're just not able to accept it. We're too busy. We're too fragmented. We're unable to say, I receive that word of grace, that I am valuable, that God made me. I receive it from God, not just from you, but from God, that I am worthy. God's made me worthy. God loves me. And we need to be people who give that away. People who can say, yeah, I, I want to give and I want to receive that. God intends it to remind us and to stop the cycle We need to stop trying to impress others and rather give others an impression of how God loves them. Bless them with our words. Speak words of goodness over them on a regular basis. Because by doing so, we begin to convince ourselves that we can be vulnerable and we can be real with others because God loves us that same way. God loves us exactly the same way. So let me close this illustration. This is a great story. Um, John Orberg tells a story in his book, the me I want to be. He says, the bigger hope I cling to in the face of my sin is not my goodness, but God's grace. This year, we had a daughter graduate from Azusa Pacific University, and my wife got to speak at the commencement. So we gathered with a group of 50 or so faculty, alumni, administration before the ceremony. And They were all there, all these people were there to celebrate with their freshly minted columns before the ceremony. And at one point, John Wallace, the university president, pulled three seniors into the center of the room and he told us all that that they were going to go and serve some under-resourced people in an impoverished areas for several years after graduation. The graduating seniors, of course, said a few words about why they were going and where they were going and we all applauded. They thought that that was why they were there. But then the president turned his back to the rest of us, and he faced the three students. And he told them the real reason they were in the room. He said, somebody you do not know has heard what you're doing. He wants you to be able to serve the people where you are going without any impediment. So he's given a gift. He's asked to remain anonymous, but here's what he's done for you. He turned to the first student, he looked her in the eye, and he said, you have been forgiven of your debt of $105,000. It took a few minutes for the words to sink in. The student shook her head first. Then the thought registered. and She began to weep at the sheer unexpected generosity of a mountain of debt wiped out in a moment by someone she had never met. Then he turned to the next student. You have been forgiven of your debt of $70,000. And he turned to the third student. By this time, she knew what was coming. 
But it was as if she could not believe it for herself that it was happening until she heard the words, you have been forgiven of your debt of $130,000. All three students were trembling. Their lives had been changed in the twinkling of an eye by an extravagance of someone they had never met. And all of us who watched were so moved. It was as if we had experienced the forgiveness for ourselves. There was not a dry eye in the room. It's pretty incredible. Forgiveness of all that debt. And yet all of us labor under even greater debt. We give that debt words, labels like shame and guilt, brokenness, sin. We pretend to be people we're not because we're afraid of being found out. But through Jesus, through his death, through his resurrection, through his reconciliation act on the cross, even though we might know what is coming, we still need to hear the words. You're forgiven. You are free. You have a new day. A new day, a fresh start. Every day with him. And he gives that to you as a gift. You just have to receive it. Have you ever taken one of those selfies where you take a picture of yourself, you're about to do something with it, and you realize, I never want anyone to see this picture. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just you look at your face, or you look, and you're like, oh, man. Imagine taking a picture, getting a picture of yourself when you're at your worst. That moment that you're most ashamed of. And then I want you to imagine for a second, what if, instead of seeing that picture the way you see it, through the eyes of condemnation, what if you could see it through God's eyes? No pointy fingers, just him looking down on his kid, who he loves with an incredibly amazing love, saying, they're ready for grace. They're ready for everything that I did for them. I'm ready to pour it out into their life. They just need to receive it. Let's pray. Your most famous words, Jesus. For God so loved. Though we might have stood opposed to you, or not even knowing you, maybe we did our own thing, but God, in that moment, you gave us grace. You give us forgiveness. It is ours for the asking. And so, today, Lord Jesus, we say again, thank you. We're forgiven. So we bask in your forgiveness, not in condemnation. We're set free. So we want to live authentic lives empowered by you. God, Jesus, will you empower us through your grace to live authentic lives, to be real with people, to be honest with them, to bask in the person you've created us to be, to be set free, to be the very best version of us, the one that's empowered by grace and no longer suffers condemnation. Jesus, we commit all of this to you. Give us a new day every day. Jesus' name, amen.